for those of my listeners like Joe Radke who have been tuning in from episode one, this is going to be a throwback. And uh, I hope that you enjoy reflecting on it if you've heard it before. Many of you listening to TRBM now have not gone deep enough into the archives to hear episode one. But something struck me this week as I was racing for a deadline to get some writing materials submitted, uh, and, and that was that the origins of TRBM were there from episode one, maybe more so than they were for the whole next year that I did the podcast. Uh, Many of you will know that this started out uh, as a show called Create Collaborate with a really goofy spelling. Um, I did just about everything wrong that a podcaster could do wrong to start with, and I learned on the fly. But the genesis behind Create Collaborate was great, and it is more like what the show is now than what it was during the first year of exploration uh, and trying to figure out my voice and who I wanted to talk to and the kind of people that I wanted to gravitate to this show. So what I'm doing is I am bringing you back all the way to episode one with my friend, Sean Blagg. He and I work together. You'll hear a lot of that in the introduction to the episode. Pardon some of the production because I also learned how to produce sound a lot better and get quality audio in there. Um, But I think it's a lot of fun. Everything is very listenable. And Sean's story is still a real banger. It is a great idea for a story. And I would love to see somebody take it and run with it in some way. Although all of the licensing and the story properties maybe with some of the different things might be challenging. Or wait a moment, am I thinking about the extended conversation where we talk about different DC comics? Either way, he talks about his graphic novel Epic and the idea behind it. I think you're going to love it. Before we jump in, let me ask you, if you haven't bought a copy of The Nine Lives of Marva DeLonghi, it's the first book in my nine book series, The Luke and Time Mysteries, go ahead and grab one. I'll have links in the show notes. If you own a copy and you have read it, now is the time to drop a rating and a review. I know I ask every episode, but I guess that's just something you're going to have to get used to until I see all those ratings and reviews starting to drop. Hope you're enjoying the book. I know that not everybody reads at the same pace that I do, but feel free if you're halfway through and you're loving what you're reading, just be honest in your rating and review. Drop it right now. Be like, I'm halfway through. This book is amazing so far. Can't wait to finish it. Those kind of things are transparent on Amazon. Everybody sees them, but they still help the algorithm. So if you're holding off till the end, I encourage you, don't worry about it. It's okay. Go ahead and put that rating and review. There's nothing ethically wrong about it. You're just helping me sooner. Remember, I spend money to get this book out to strangers. And so every single bit of social proof that I can add to The Nine Lives of Marva DeLonghi is something that can help me feed my children. They're almost starving and they're growing boys. So, um, Hopefully you can see the, the, the film playing in your mind of these just starving, trembling children that are almost skin and bones needing your help with a rating and review. Now, without further ado, please enjoy episode one of TRBM all the way back when it was called Create Collaborate. Create. Discipline. Create. Collaborate. Create. Surprise. Create. Collaborate. This is Create Collaborate. My name's Jody Sperling, and I'm your host. This week's episode was with an old friend and colleague. His name's Sean Blagg, 
and he's one of the funnier, further out there gentlemen that I ever had the opportunity to work with. I can't remember a time that I ever showed up to a convenience store where we were putting in sunglasses and work gloves and cowboy hats, all the kinds of things that you can find at a gas station these days when he didn't have some kind of joke that really balanced on the border of, dare I say, unprofessional. And I think that you'll really get a flavor of his outlook on life as you listen to this episode. He's a guy who has come through some really difficult times learned some valuable lessons, and isn't afraid to speak his mind. It was really a privilege to speak with Sean about his story idea. We used to touch on the fact that he had uh, tons of, of ideas that he hoped someday to publish, but just hadn't gotten around to writing them. Maybe he felt he didn't have the artistic capability to draw what he wanted to bring life to and hadn't found anybody who could. So just Keep in mind, if you're listening in and you are an artist and have a love for graphic novels and comic books, if you like the story, Sean would, would definitely love to uh, connect with you and maybe you can get something started here. That's what Create Collaborate's all about. It's about finding people who have stories and maybe just not everything that they need to get those stories out to the world. And I hope that uh, this podcast can be a little piece of maybe that dream coming true for Sean. Do keep in mind, there is adult language in this particular episode, so if you're sensitive to that, be warned. I hope you won't miss out on it just because of a few curse words. Sean has amazing perspective on life, on art. And yes, this is a fairly early episode. I'm reflecting back on my questioning and my hosting abilities, and um, especially early on in the episode, I think I gave him a fairly leading question, a couple of them, in fact. He rolled with it like a professional. So uh, if you're going to critique anybody, please critique me for for leading the witness, uh, as you might say, and I really hope you enjoy. If you do, please don't forget to like and share the podcast on any platform that you're listening to it. Uh, Those early likes, those early shares, those early reviews really help to get this podcast out to more people. Personally, I just got into therapy, so that's very nice. You know, just get myself kind of uh, together to make a good change and move, you know. Okay. So Sean Blagg is in therapy. Is that like you, are you, are you going and sitting down with somebody or are you doing something via the phone? What's, what's it look like? Oh, no, it's uh sit down, talk to a person and, you know, hash out the details of, you know, the universe and whatever. And, you know, just talk to somebody. It's been a long two years and, you know, I just need, you know, I need that. Yeah, absolutely. It has been a long two years. It, it, it like something about COVID made just time like slice differently. Um, you know, the, yeah. yeah, the, the way that, that time passes is so different. It's, it's hard to even describe. You know, we, um, our generation and even our parents' generation really didn't experience a major disease like this, you know, like we had the AIDS scare, but that was like, uh, almost like it was almost removed, you know, like all the sexual stuff is like, almost like you could almost like point and say, well, you have to do something to catch that. This is like the first time that we've had to face something like this. That was like, you know, 
imminent, even if it wasn't imminent, however you believe, whatever, you know, it's like, you know, first time, it, you know, first time that we've done this as a generation. So it's interesting to see how it all, you know, um, turns out. Uh, only, the only thing you have to do to get COVID is just walk out of your door pretty much. Yeah. You know, you just got to talk to people really. It's the, 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 it's the, uh, it's really, you have to talk to people. You have to be around other people. You have to socialize. And it's hard to not do that when you're fucking human, <laughs> you know, it's like, even, even, even antisocial people still want to socialize. Yep. Absolutely. You, you need it. It's, it's not like it's, um, uh, something that only extroverts do even introverts want to socialize. It's just a different way that we want to do it. I mean, cause I I'm, I'm gathering you're an introvert. I'm an introvert. I really like this one-on-one setting. You know, I'd say I'm a bit more extroverted than I am introverted. Okay. You know, like, I, 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 I don't know. I, I like to be around people way more than I would like, like, Maybe I'm a, if I'm an introvert, I'm I'm a hundred percent aware of it and do things to not be introverted. Okay. <laughs> Consciously. <Yeah. laughs> okay. So so you you prioritize that kind of extroverted, like get out there, have that community, have that relationship kind of a, a mentality. It it seems like the better road to you. Yeah, I just I, I know I have to talk to people. If I don't, then you know, there's a part missing. You know, piece missing to me. So yeah. And that's and that's really what I missed in the past year was just past couple of years is just talking to random awesome people, you know. Absolutely. Um so. that that's kind of a a good segue. One one of the things about why we're doing the podcast today is is that uh create collaborate is about, you know, not celebrities. People who are doing kind of the everyday gig, people who have stories that they want to tell. Um I guess Tell me in a nutshell what you do, what you've been doing as work. I mean, work is a really important part of, of how we get here, how we shape our stories. Um, obviously, I know, but people listening in don't know what you do for work. Um, and give your own spin to it. Well, I spent uh, about five years, the past five years, uh, traveling and doing uh, route work, which is just... Um, basically merchandising for electronics and sunglasses. And uh, I've been kind of specializing in putting out fires for the company. I'm just running around and finding the issues in a problem routes and taking care of those routes, you know, trying to make sure that those things were squared away and, you know, trying to excel in that situation, being a, uh, I guess a Da Vinci for the, uh, or a uh, renaissance man for the company where you could put me in any situation and I'll take care of the issue, you know? Yeah. Um, That's, that's what I wanted to do um, for a while. Uh, The past year I decided to take a, uh, I don't know, the, the, the pandemic made a big change, you know, and uh, I saw an opportunity to uh, work, work at home for a while. So I did, uh, um, I took a route in Cincinnati, Ohio, and okay. uh, and worked uh, the past year uh, doing the same stuff just for a single route. Um, my son turned 18 literally two weeks ago. Amazing. So, 
uh, and uh, yeah, I just wanted to be there for all that, you know, be there for him for his, uh, you know, last year football, last year high school, making a lot of decisions. So I don't want to be on the road for him. I want to be home and hang out and do stuff. So, you know, there we are. You know, uh, that was the past, you know, literally like six years of just doing this route stuff. Um, but before that, I actually, uh, I worked at a comic book shop. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, I work, uh, my uh, friend owns a comic shop here in uh, Newport called uh, Arcadian Comics and Games. Um, and uh, yeah, I worked at his shop for seven years from the day it opened. And uh, I loved it, you know, uh, just, uh, you know, that's a, uh, oh, you absorb a lot of comic books. <laughs> yeah. Now, it, we've know? talked a lot, and I mean, you have a love for comics. Did that start then? Or, I mean, how, how deep is the, the love for comics, graphic novels, that kind of, uh, um, I guess, media or entertainment? I can trace it even probably back to my uncle. Uh, my Uncle Chuck and uh, his friend uh, Jason had a um, pretty awesome comic collection when I was a kid. And that's where I remember just the first time seeing those kind of like things out and like, oh, these are pretty awesome. And then uh, when I was maybe 10 or 11 or 12, had that um, uh, allowance and saw a uh, issue on the newsstand. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 365 with a holographic cover I was like, well, I need to fucking own that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and from there, it just was like, well, I'll, you know, try to find Spider-Man and continue this story because it's a continuing story in those books, you know? And, uh, you know, it was like, well, I'll start running down issues of this and figure out how to do this and, you discover a whole universe there of like, oh, wow, it wasn't just, you know, this comic book. And isn't it just one book each time? It's like, you know, all these things are interconnected and, you you know, just a fun, fun, uh, fun bit of it, you know. But, yeah, I, 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 I collected as a kid and fell out of it for a little bit. And then, uh, you know, when I uh, got out of school again, out of uh, after uh, going to te- uh tech school i uh discovered books again you know i just i i just started collecting again found a a shop and couldn't couldn't put them back down what do you think it is so i've noticed that and, and this is the case for me too i'm not i'm not into comics and graphic novels at the level that you are but it's something that's always fascinated me and i found in the past couple of years i've really sought it out a lot what is it about spider-man specifically because it, sometimes it seems weird to me he's not necessarily the most powerful comic book hero out there he's not the coolest guy he he has a cool outfit i'll give him that but you know in a lot of ways no. I don't know. There's just something about him that's so like vulnerable and maybe that is it. But for you, what is it that Spider-Man hooked you? Okay. It definitely the, okay. So costume is a huge part of this, of what like people don't know of like the genius of the Spider-Man costume is that it is eye catching. Yeah. That it is like, you know, the sleek human form that, that has a great costume, you know, even, and especially the black costume whatever you know it's Mm -hmm. just like it it accentuates this idea of that human form but you know that's the eye pop part of it but the story part of it is that 
is he's like an every man with superpowers. It, it's like just an everyday dude with superpowers. It's, he's one of the best depictions of just a regular everyday guy who just happens to have, you know, the powers of a spider, you know? Yeah. Um, and um, Marvel is an amazing uh, force of uh, marketing, you know, like, Spider-Man's face is on so many different just actual issues of Marvel Comics where you would find a little Spider-Man logo down at the bottom corner of a book that, you know, has nothing to do with Spider-Man. It just was on there, you know, or, uh, you know, I mean, all the different Marvel properties that have a little bit of Spider-Man in it. It's a it's a it's a smart uh, character, man. It's really a really a. Um, really a smart character. Um, it's a, the mix between tragedy that that just like that real powerful punches of tragedy that he has in his story that come up like you know regularly and are kind of ingrained into the character, um, and the just humor that he deals with it. You know, I mean, it's just that's a really human way of dealing with stuff. Is that you know. He has this humor about him, tries to keep a, you know, a bright spirit about it, even though he is surrounded by all this just horrible things happening. So, you know, it's, it's an interesting point you bring up. There's so many different directions I want to go with what you said, but you, you kind of landed on humor. And that to me is this thing. I feel like we're missing it a little bit right now in culture is there's not a lot of humor. And I know that you specifically have been working a little bit on standup. Um, what, what do you think it is right now? If you look on the mainline media, there's not a ton of humor. We're not dealing with life humorously. We're not dealing with COVID humorously. What are your thoughts? I mean, if you have any, if you don't, you can completely yeah, pass no, on we're, uh, I think as a nation, and there's a, maybe not as a nation, I don't, I don't know. That's so hyperbolic. It's, yeah. I think really straight up, there is an untold number of people in this country right now who are dealing with PTSD and they just don't realize it. They're dealing dealing with a certain type or certain level of just this, you know, post-stress, I mean, of, of everything that we've just dealt with, you know, like you said, it kind of does come back to just, you know, we, we, we dealt with something really just wild, you know, a lot of people lost family, man. A lot of people lost family that we just, you know, that, it, that it kind of is almost wildly almost swept under the rug. Like nobody's even like talking like, we just lost a half a million people, dude. And yeah. nobody's saying a word. Like it doesn't feel like anybody's talking about it, you know? And, and it's I think hard. That, it's hard to laugh through that is, is I think that's kind of where you're going. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, it's definitely that it's, it's, you know, it's people are like, I mean, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know, man, I think comedy is actually like kind of coming into different, world of uh i mean it's still out there you know it's just uh it's not even it's still there you know it's like it's just there are some things that just people are like well man you know that's just not that funny right now you know 
Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it, it, you know, the, the style of comedy and the things that people are going to laugh at is kind of just changing at the time, you know, like yeah. the shit that people laughed at in the fifties is not the same shit that we laugh at now, you know, the pacing of comedy changes, you know? So it, all it's just a natural part of that change. And hell man, it's, it's really, like I said, we're barely a year out of this, you know, we're not even really out of it yet. You know, no. who knows? Could be in the fucking next fucking roll of it. <laughs> Ooh. But, uh, I don't know. There's, I think, individually there is enough gallows humor going around that we just don't need it on our face you know after work or you know on tv or whatever a lot of people i think are looking for an escape from everything and i don't think they're finding that escape in laughing directly about you know i sure so much of recent comedy of like the past 10 years of comedy feels like it was built on you know, examining society and examining, you know, you know, our foibles and all that fun stuff mm-hmm. or whatever. And people don't feel like fucking dealing with that right now. They want pure escapism, like something to just get out of it and be like, yeah, no, okay. I don't want to really deal with that. Just tell me something about a fucking, I don't know, tell me farting dick jokes. You know what I mean? Like, cause you know, I don't need to know. I don't need to hear a joke about Trump. I just want to hear a dick and fart joke. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I've heard it spoken that way, but I think that's true. I think I noticed myself uh, gravitating that way a little bit more than I used to. Um, I, I, certainly, the the political division right now makes it really difficult to take that on. You've got to be a certain kind of person to to do that well enough that everybody feels comfortable. I, I mean, it's just. Uh... It almost feels like you'll piss off somebody no matter what you say, unless it's just purely silly. Yeah. So. Yeah. And may, I mean, maybe that's okay. Maybe it's okay to piss some people off. I, I'm, I'm not really sure. I, I kind of deal with that. And I wonder, I mean, even in the act of creating this, which there's, there's kind of like a, a meta feeling to this whole podcast, which is like, we're talking about stories and we're telling stories and we want people to connect to the stories we're telling. And so just that sense of like, can I connect with you? And can I get you right to the edge of feeling frustrated with what I might be about to say? And then walk you back and we realize we're all human. We're all telling these stories for a reason. I don't know. Yeah. Like I said, when it comes to comedy, once again, I just don't feel like the audience is there for it right now to just deal, just to deal with shit. All they want to do, all they want to do is laugh. They don't want to think. They don't want to fucking break down how smart that fucking joke was. They just want to be like, ah, dicks. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) I love that, man. Um, <laughs> it's almost the worst transition in the world, but I, I have this one thing. I've had this in my my email inbox for a little while, and I want your take on it. If, if you've got nothing to say, just say you pass, uh, and then we'll move on from there. But this has been in my inbox, and it's frustrating because I'm like, how do I, how do I handle it? I have a take. I have a thought process about it, so I don't want to influence yours, but I just want to read it to you. Okay, it says- Yeah, go ahead, man. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Dear Jody, I'll just come right out and say it. 
We are at risk of losing our most humble and impactful literary institutions. Literary journals are the rigorous proving grounds that early career writers need. We gain experience and critical credibility in their pages, which often goes a long way when we look to find agents or publish our first books. But if literary journals don't get the support we need from readers, from writers, from donors, and yes, from larger institutions, the decline may be slow but American letters will fall from excellence. Our work will not be read. I'm just going to stop there and and I'm I'm interested to hear your take. Okay. Have you ever written to a literary journal or anything like that? Because I feel, you know, my, my personal view of them, my experience of them is like, oh yeah, there are a lot of scams. A lot of them are just kind of like, almost like Ponzi level scheme scams of just like, yeah, we'll get you to put like, basically the only people that they're selling the book to is you, yeah. you know, they're like, Oh yeah, we'll sell you a book and, or we'll, we'll put your stuff in a, in a, in a book. All you got to do is buy it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's almost like vanity publishing, uh, except you have yeah. to. So, so, I mean, yeah. I mean, if you got like a hundred, fucking people who buy a poem book i guess or buy 50 copies of a poem book and want to say like look dude my fucking book's in a poem my poem's in a book you know, <laughs> like yeah it works but but i don't know it, it's a pipe dream and i think it settle like it satisfies some things for some people you know yeah. it's definitely i just feel like there's a lot of like scammery in there of like yeah. oh yeah we're just kind of weirdly scammery i like there's it very independent people who do very independent zines and stuff like that, where I'm like, okay, that sounds like a much more fucking cool thing where it's like, if you're talking to like like an actual single person who's like, no, I just do this book and, you know, looking for some people to put some stuff into it. That feels real, you Mm -hmm. know, as opposed to like this fucking weird company who's basically already kind of soliciting you for cash. You know, yeah, I mean, that comes across as more of a sales pitch than it does a like pitch to get get fucking people to write shit for them. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. And honestly, we're we're in a different fucking world now, man. It's like, I don't think book sales is going to be the fucking thing that like. Or fucking whatever magazine sales, the fuck do you sell a magazine or a literary fucking thing now? You know, Mm. I mean, it's just like things available online and nobody nobody wants to buy any of that except for comic books which kind of i mean just to bring it back around yeah because of all the literary pieces right now like yeah sure people buy books to read whatever but a lot of that stuff happens online you know right buy, buy online versions of it the only physical forms of stuff that still are really just like that are going to sell in major numbers is comic mm-hmm. books because of the right. collectability of it because people want to collect comic books, you know, right. and they, they have a collectability of it. You can still see and place value on it on, uh, you know, books that just came out five years ago, you know, yep. uh, and, and stuff that just just explodes, you know. So I don't see that industry like I see it changing very in, in very big ways right now, but I don't see it disappearing the way that 
those kind of literary magazines are going to disappear because I don't think, I mean, the internet's too easy as a platform to put your stuff out. You know, nobody's itching for that fucking that anymore. You know, it's like, yeah, I can make 17 blogs. Yeah. And, and probably do better. Get, get more viewers than, than that one book. It's, it's, I, I love that you say that. And I, I mean, I don't really want to infuse my opinion on this because I really think it's all about you, but I think that you make a really interesting point that uh, I, what you're saying is that self-published people are not complaining about the state of publishing right now. Oh yeah. I don't think they are. I mean, I don't know. You know, I think it's, uh, it's just, uh, I'm sure they're dealing with paper shortages right now is a huge issue Yeah, and ink and actual like physical parts of it. Cause that, that's, that's prices for that is just skyrocketing. Mm-hmm. It's like the, the price to actually self publish is just going just up and up and up. But, uh, but I think that's the, that's their complaint against it, you know, of like, yeah, but there's still a market for it everywhere. You know, there's still plenty of places that are kind of, and people who are dying for that stuff who are like, no, I definitely want a book. You know, I want to, want to read, like I said, particular, particularly comics of, or whatever, or graphic stuff because of the, like I said, the collectability and the, the tactile nature of that. Hi, my name is JP Volier. I am the author of the dystopian novel, The Ketchup Factory. Here's a quick description from the back cover. Benji works for one of the most sought after companies on earth. Not only is there a sense of solidarity and devotion among factory employees, the workers themselves have the satisfaction of producing affordable nutrition, which has the added benefit of bringing peace and happiness to the country's citizens. However, the main ingredient has sadistic demands. Dignified blood sacrifices are not only accepted, but encouraged by society's leaders. Through a series of unfortunate happenstances, Benji navigates through a world convinced it is just, but in time questions mount, confusion erupts, leaving Benji to roam in a dark forest with a head full of talking bugs and a heart longing for a woman from his past. Here are what the critics are saying. Richard Russo, the winner of the 2002 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction, said, J.P.'s voice really got under my skin. Another Pulitzer Prize winner, Paul Harding, author of the novel Tinker, said, Prose is fantastic, deft, sharp, detailed, high resolution. The Edgar Allan Poe-inspired literary journal, Ligeia Magazine, states, Despite going over dystopian territory, I can't think of anything the Ketchup Factory sounds or feels like. If you're into surreal dystopian love stories, go check out my website, jpvalier.com, or find the Ketchup Factory on Amazon. It's currently available in print and ebook. Thank you. So, comic books. Yeah. You have a story. 
And you're going to want to talk to us a little bit about your story. It's from, from what we briefly talked about offline, you want to talk about kind of a graphic novel. That's a, that, that, well, anyways, you want to talk about a graphic novel idea you have. Is that right? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I could say like, yeah, I've got like several graphic novel ideas that I'd love to talk and, and, and shoot around. But the one that I mainly want to focus on is a, a idea that's, been rolling around in my head i call it epic uh lowercase e-p-i-c with a very simple period um it's um it's a story that focuses on a regular schlubby guy uh glasses kind of um i don't know you're like average office worker kind of looking guy um, that's working in an office and he, uh, has lost his memory. And that's where you start is that you, you just, he's trying to figure out who he is. Um, but not just who he is, but like how to reconnect with people again, where he's not just lost his like, you know, memory of like, of his past, but also his kind of memory of how to connect with people, you know? Wow. Okay. So really strange question. I just, just saw the, the new preview for the newest matrix movie. It almost has that flavor. Have you, did you like, do you feel like they robbed you or is it oh, different no. enough? Okay. This, this is very different. Okay. Um, ah, because I'm thinking like, like Mr. Anderson, office worker, but then I'm thinking about him post everything, and he's like, "Who the hell am the I?" Is, okay. This begins with a scene of a dark entrance to a cave, right? And then a flash of light flashes across the entrance of the cave, and then a fire outside the cave starts to glow. Where in the whole time, all you see is just the same kind of entrance to the cave as it gets brighter and brighter. And then the fire gets closer and the animals inside start waking up. The creatures inside start waking up. And then that's when you flip next page is the guy, our main character, BC, um, Ben Crawford, wakes up. And he's in an office and he has just, it's a basement office. He's a regular dude and he has a post-it note telling him to look in his pocket. And he starts following these post-it notes that have different directions on them, right? Um, all the directions aren't written on, um, English they're written in like there's different languages that the directions are written on different post-it notes and the ones that he keeps keying on are basic pictographs of people just like of like basic like original like caveman um fucking pictograph you know what I mean interesting okay um it eventually gets him to a path to get to his uh home and there he breaks down what's going on. He's lost his memory and every so often a traumatic event or something happens that makes him 
lose everything. Um, he doesn't have any memory past five years. There's journals that are there that have recorded the past five years. And as he's starting to break stuff down, he starts, you know, checking out all these things. But also, he ha- he goes back to work, too. Goes back to the place that he started at. And uh, because that's part of uh, the directions for him is to like, hey, keep going back to this place. This is how you make money. This is how you fucking survive. Um, Interesting. So what you're saying is like he's almost getting instructions on how to be, you know, quote unquote himself. Exactly. He's getting instructions from himself on how to be himself. But he doesn't know what really who he is. Um, And that's him as he goes is trying to reconnect with people and understand like, you know, how these human interactions work. Part of the first arc is he finds a dog and uh, he starts really connecting with this dog. And uh, like throughout the first episode, like the, like the first like couple issues, he actually doesn't talk. Like he, there's no speech from him until he finds this dog and he un- kind of unloads on this dog of like, all right, so this is what's been going on. Um, but the, the kind of like, unspoken secret of this guy is that there's a small sci-fi edge to this i don't it's not the important edge to it it's just a fun storytelling device he is immortal and has lived since the beginning of time okay so he's been losing his like but you won't know that as as a reader like you know it's nothing that's like said explicitly explicitly as a as you're reading this book you know it's just something that's implied through dreams and over time is kind of the thing that is given up to the reader is that you know that that he's actually you know lived all of these different wild lives and the and the way that you see that is that there's two different styles to the book is what i want to do okay what i want to do is there's a very like paneled out way of doing comic books of like classically Jack Kirby and the old Spider-Man comic books. Those original things would be nine and 12 panel books where it'd just be nine panels on a page and every page would be nine panels. And then you'd have like some splash pages or some two panel pages, Mm -hmm. you know, and that'd be, that'd be a big thing. But I like the idea of that as in the normal waking world, doing it as panels and, and where he does, you know, where you get these like, his very like structured paneled life of, of, you know, just mechanically figuring out the universe again and his dreams where you get to explore whatever you can do a much more flowing different type of art style where um, like say, I think this is a good example. This is a, a guy called Chris Ware, right? This is okay. a very paneled out geographic, or not, uh, or um, paneled out, angled, very simple shapes, you know. Right, there's no variation. You've got six windows, at least what I can see, you've got six windows, okay, and then you've kind of got that bottom almost like strip of film or something like that. But, 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 you know, like easy, you know, like very like handled narrative. Now, for the dream sequences, I would do want to have something more like and these are mine, by the way, 
amazing artists that would I would never ever be able to find or afford. But this is a guy, J.H. Williams, who does stuff where the panels bleed into each other, where you get whole pages of just you know That's where or almost the art itself and almost a storytelling piece of it. In fact, a very pertinent version of this is does a book with uh, Neil Gaiman called uh, Sandman Overture. Yeah. The final or the last chapter of Sandman. I think this is a great page is all the panels are teeth. You know, when you back away, Mm -hmm. that's clearly a mouth. That's wild. But yeah. So you could tell some very cool stories in that. And I like the idea of where like in this waking world, you have those paneled out story. And then in the dream world, you can just explore whatever art style you like. Yeah. Go go with it and, 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 and really extrapolate out. But the stories I want to tell in the dream world are the stories of his past where you can explore his entire history and different segments of his history as it relates to the stories that are going on in his current life. Like for this first arc is he discovers a dog and kind of breaks down to the dog of like, you know, what he's going through while in his dream life, you see his discovery of like, almost like the first kind of proto dog of him being a caveman Hmm. and how caveman kind of like caveman kind of came to get these animals and domesticate these animals. It's, it's kind of fascinating because a couple of things, one, before you actually brought up Neil Gaiman, I was kind of thinking about American gods. I feel like there's a slight connection in this amnesia piece again with American gods. It's been long enough since I've read that book, but the main character has that feeling of amnesia. Like I've been here, I've done this, I've discovered this. And yet like he's learning it over again. And that's part of what you're bringing here. So you can see that influence and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe your influence isn't there, but that's kind of how it's reading to me. Um, and, and. Oh, certainly. Yeah. I wouldn't say that particular story, but yeah, Neil Gaiman definitely, you know, um, his storytelling definitely throws an influence on me. The um, the pieces I'm thinking of are uh, especially with the kind of the memory loss and the uh, you know the lives lived over is uh, and and as as wild as this is is Highlander. Okay. You know, like I like the idea of like that that Highlander piece. Like I keep think flashing back to like episodes of Highlander the series and mm. like. Of, of like there's there's great episodes of them like flashing back and forth to them doing different time periods you know and uh and the character is vaguely aware of those things that happened to him in the past in some reason or some way you mm-hmm. know something makes him remember those things i don't want my character to ever worry or even think about those things that happened in the past my my whole drive of this book is I like the, I think the sci-fi part of it and the like him having this kind of like, you know, weird secret about him, this kind of weird thing that, you know, whatever. It's a fun storytelling device. The story I want to tell is his connection to humanity, is him of a man trying to reconnect to, you know, to humans to like, you know, going on there, like of, of how does, you know, how do you, how do you talk to people, you know, like, not just like, you know, like speak, but how do you talk to people and not destroy them, not offend them, not fucking make them mad, you know? Yeah. 
Like I, I like the it. idea of exploring somebody who doesn't, you know, basically an infant in a 40 year old's body. I love it. That's so it's, it's a wild idea. It's a really fun idea. Or maybe I guess really a caveman in a 40 year old's body, <laughs> a just caveman in a modern man's body. He's got to completely learn like all of language and technology and well, modern etiquette at the same time, almost. Well, I think some of the fun of it is that I, I can break rules and be like, well, he doesn't have to necessarily lose. Part of the rules of it is he can retain pieces like he can he can he remembers all languages, like any language he ever learns. He remembers oh, wow. that language. OK, um, but he doesn't know that he remembers it. But if somebody talks to him in another language, he knows what they're saying. Like he doesn't like know like, oh, I know Spanish. It's just if somebody speaks Spanish, he recognizes what they say if he's learned that language. But his own language, his own like thought language, when you do thought bubbles, is going to be all in caveman pictograph. Interesting. Okay. So how do you, how do you get the, like the, the actual text in there for the reader? Or is it, is it so like sparingly done that you can actually understand the pictographs? Yeah. I mean, it just, basic stick man figure stuff. Golly, that is, I mean, that is a huge task. And it, I mean, if you pulled that off, nobody's done anything like that, that I've, I've found before. I, I think it's easier than it's the, the easier said than, or maybe, I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah <laughs> for sure. Like it's um, we do already do it with the emojis. Yeah. You know, yep. like baby emojis is basically pictographs. So, I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't see how you wouldn't be like, I think you could caveman up emojis. And then, I think that that's true. And I think that there's like this, this huge, still uncharted, undiscovered territory right now where, and just kind of travel with me for a second, because you've got the, the laughy face that's crying tears and it's straight. So, you know, it's looking at you and its face is oriented straight at you. And then you've got the one that's tilted and it's basically the same, but it's tilted. And I interpret those emojis a little bit different. Like for me, the one that's straight is slightly less hilarious than the one that's turned. So I don't use the turned one. Yeah, exactly. But my wife, she thinks that they're crying. That's not actually true. My grandma thinks that they're crying. I don't know. But, you know, I mean, like there is this level of interpretation to pictures. You're basically doing a a graphic novel, a comic book with a mini comic book as the text in some cases. And that's really amazing and also really challenging. Well, that's the thing is I would have to find an artist. (laughs) Yeah. That's the part of the collaborate part that I actually enjoy. That's why I brought a graphic novel idea to this because from this, if this gets out and anybody sees it and whatever, they're like, Oh, that sounds like a great idea. I would love to work on something like that. Like, okay. But, um, but yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's a daunting task, but I think it's makes it more interesting. Nothing easy is worth doing, I guess. I don't know. You know what I mean? Totally. Like, it's like to stand out in a market like this, you have to have some interesting visual flair and you have to Mm -hmm. have either that or a power story, you know, like you just have to have a heart punch of a story. And if you can bring both of them, yeah, I mean, Jesus Christ, you know, you know, but I, I hope to at least bring, you know, a little bit of something, you know, at least a cool story. It's, it's an open-ended kind of book, a deal where it's like any kind of artist can pick it up 
any kind of person can tell whatever story they want to do. Like, I'd love to create this book and create and, and, and just get a first, like, you know, 12 issues and then hand it to somebody else and be like, look, here's the character. This is his situation. He's lost his memory. Now you get to fucking have a character who's lost his memory and this is his circumstances. And then you write from there, you know, like I, I see writing a arc where maybe if, if we did it for like 50 issues and then in the 50th issue, he walks out into the woods and you hand the book over to somebody else and say, here, write this, have enjoy this character. And he just picks it up. It's a guy who's lost his memory in the woods, doesn't know who he is, all the same circumstances, but, you know, gets to tell his own completely own story. Clean slate. You don't, you don't have to worry about honoring the backstory. Yeah. Like, well, there are things that a hundred percent have happened to him. And, okay. and anybody who does a narrative story does definitely has to honor like whatever has come before, you know, if, if you're doing like straight from the narrative, I guess, but you get to tell your own like story of what you want to do with them. You know, you don't have to be beholden to just like stick into what that last narrative was. You can take it and be like, all right, well, this is this guy's next part of the story. And I don't have to, he doesn't have to be this office worker. He can be whatever I decide to take him into just randomly fall into being a fucking baseball star or something. I don't know. However, whatever, that's just, you know, whatever to your head. It's just a, I think it's a cool slate for a character that you could keep going on and on where it's like, Hey, he's immortal and kind of a blank slate character. It's, it's hugely inspiring to me. I mean, I, I love the idea. There's, there's this piece of me that's craving and I don't even necessarily want you to talk about it, but there is a part of me that's craving to, to know, like, you know, I want to know the roots. I want to know the history. I want to know the past. I want to eventually get the payoff of like, who is this guy? But I love what you're doing with it. And like I said, I don't want you to go there unless you absolutely know. And that's where you're going with this, but he, he is almost in a sense, like the missing link. Something happens at the dawn of history or the dawn of, of like animals and, and humans where he touches a meteorite and fucking becomes this thing, you know, this thing that just he, he can't die. Like you cut off his head and you bury him. He grows his head. And 10 days later, he's a human again and has no memory of whatever happened. It's just this thing, you know, okay. and, you know, throughout history, he's mostly bumbled through history of been like a like I'd never want to see him as like the main character of a story in a sense unless it's his own he's only the main character of his own story but in a historical sense he's only ever at best a side character in a historical sense where he's like you know he's the he's the the guy who works in the manger of the pharaoh or the dude who's been whatever He's never discovered on his thing because, I mean, honestly, a, a person who doesn't have memory and is just trying to piece together himself time after time after time probably wouldn't be like as useful and smart immediately recognizably. Like I, I, I see different stories that you could tell where it's like he gets exploited throughout history. Maybe there's like parts of like lost history where you can insert insert him into lost history where he did profound things in lost history and then they're like oh well all that shit's gone and so are you but you know 
I knew you had stories. That's the funny thing. I, we've talked about it before uh, in, in different times that we've hung out and worked together. I mean, that's how we're connected is through work. But I, I knew you had stories. I didn't know you had a story like this. This is a dynamite story. This is such a cool idea. And it has such a big potential. I, I know you know that. You're telling it because you know what a big deal it is. Um, it's really cool. I, I, and I, I, I so much hope that somebody who's got some really strong uh, art capabilities can come and draw this for you. I hope it gets bigger than this podcast to tell you the truth. I mean, but shoot, I I love it. A couple of things I want to mention that I I kind of put in the back of my brain is um, I don't know how much of a Stephen King fan you are, but going all the way back to the dog, it reminds me of the dark tower series. Are you familiar with it? Yeah, I'm a little bit like tangentially just because I've read enough Stephen King and I'm enough of a nerd to know about it. Okay, well, first read the Dark Tower series because it's such a good series. All seven books are really dynamite. I think the first is the worst uh, and they just yeah. keep getting better. There's, I, I can't remember the name of the dog type character in there, but it really reminded me of, of the dog in your story of where it has almost this sense of like agency, but it's this safe character to put an imprint on and it gives you this relief, this situation, almost like a priest or something, a confessional kind of character. Um, but since you haven't read it, I'm really just giving you that as check it out. No, I feel you. I think people connect to animals. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, since like since the fucking dawn of humanity, you know, we've literally connected to dogs or some type of animal. You know, we don't we don't have pets for no reason. You mm-hmm. know, and, and we don't have pets because we want to lower it over them. You know, I think it's that idea of like that another creature could love you. That's a profound feeling, man, mm-hmm. you know, that it's not just another person, but it's just this random, simple creature that's like, yeah, but I love you, buddy. And it's, it's, it's weird that people debate it. I, sometimes I wonder anybody who's debating whether an animal can love you or not must have never owned an animal or must not have been that animal's person. Cause you know, we've got, we've got three animals in this house. We had four, um, unfortunately my wife's animal, the one that was her animal that loved her, he's gone, but I've still got my oh. love. Yeah, I know. And it's, if you've had it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you've ever had a cat purr on you, really, and not just like purr on you, but just like nestle up on you and be like, dude, you're my bro. Just going to sit here (laughs) and purr and just like, like, oh yeah, this is the shit, you know, that's for sure, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so and then the other, the other one that kind of came to me again is actually on, on Stephen King. And if you haven't read it, Totally fine. But he has this character uh, that, that keeps coming back. Randall Flagg is in the stand. Uh, if you've oh, read the yeah. stand. Okay. Oh, so yeah. the, the character of Flagg or his iteration keeps coming back and back and back throughout all of Stephen King's novels. And I feel like that's a little bit where you're going, except you've taken like the walking dude, the evil guy, and you've turned him into almost a force of good, or at least a force of neutrality. Uh, like you said, the missing link. That's, I mean, it's, it's really cool that I feel like you're tapping into this similar vein. I, 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 I like the idea of having my character, of that character exist in other things that I do. Like if I ever did anything else, you know, of just as he's another character who does a thing. Uh, I read, uh, I really like Kurt Vonnegut, like really inspired by Kurt Vonnegut in a lot of ways. And, uh, and he has a lot of 
reoccurring characters. Yes. Um, yeah. What's the Kilgore, novelist? Kilgore. Yeah. Kilgore Trout. <laughs> yeah. Kilgore Trout uh, rolls through a lot of his books and that that's a, that's a cool uh, thing or uh, Rosewater, Mr. Rosewater mm-hmm. is in there too. Uh, it's, 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 um, it's a cool concept because it's like you can loosely connect things together where things, stories that have nothing to do with each other can have something to do with each other and have this like neat shared universe, you know, mm-hmm. that's comic books in a nutshell, a neat shared universe, <laughs> yeah. you know, suddenly fucking Spider-Man shows up in your Iron Man book and your mind is blown as a six-year-old where you're like, Spider-Man's in this. So what, why is that? Cause I, I agree with you. I mean, um, it's, it's not any secret to people who know me at all, but I, I write. And every single novel I write, I always have a shared character, whether it's a minor character who jumps into the novel for like two lines, or it's a major character who plays a side role in a future book. Why do we want that? Why do we want that connected universe? It's because, I mean, you write multiple things, you know, like it's, it's a nod to other things, you know, it's just this, maybe it's like, Easter eggs, you know, it's a writer's way of putting an Easter egg into something, your own inside joke, you know, or your own inside little thing of like, if you know, you know, and and if somebody else knows, they know, and then they can have a little laugh about this of like, I mean, just simple as that. It's whatever, you know, uh, and you know, we, we like the idea of a, honestly, I think we just humans like the idea of getting like secrets in a bigger universe out there where you're like, oh, he's in this? Well, then if I read these other things, is he like, is, are, are all these things connected? Does all these things have the same, like something going on in them? I don't know. People like good mystery and a good kind of something to discover. Yeah, and it, it, feels like, it feels like this even bigger sense of there really is connectivity. There's connectivity between the story you're telling and the story I'm telling and the story of, of the next guest on this podcast. It's almost like we're oh, all yeah. tapping into the same vein, telling the same story in a weird way. And yet, you know, somebody may listen to our podcast and hear the language that you use and the way that you use it and be like, well, that guy, you know, he's using this particular kind of language that's offensive to me. And somebody else may take it so much further. Listen, the reason I bring it up is because it's that's what the, the whole purpose of doing this is, is, is that we're telling the same story in this really powerful, different way. I I'm, I'm curious. I mean, you feel that way a little bit, right. Or what's, what's your thought about that? Yeah, no, I 100, like I say this on the regular and people are like, ha ha, but they're like, Hey, are you, how are you feeling today? I'm like, Oh, magical. You know, and it used to be I'm feeling the magic of the universe slowly coalesce and expand in ways that's hard to understand, much less put the words. That's the short end of it. That's the real thing, though. And that's a fucking true fact. It's the magic of the universe, my friend. Like we are connected in ways that are fucking like profoundly hard to understand, much less put to words. (laughs) It's uh, it's 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 no joke, man. Like there's. I, that universal consciousness is a real thing. I, I, I do believe we're all connected in these weird ways. If, if only in like, I believe we're connected on wavelengths, my friend. Yeah. If I'm thinking a thought, I'm creating electrical signal in my brain, right? Like that's, that's a true fact. I'm creating, a, there's some type of weird electrical signal 
shit going on in my brain. And if there's an electrical signal going on in my brain, it's creating an electrical wavelength. And there's probably a really good chance that if you're thinking the same thought, you're creating the same fucking wavelength with your brain with electrical signals. Like there's a good chance that those wavelengths are fucking super similar or the same. The idea that we're on the same wavelength isn't just a fucking like, you know, cliche. Like, yeah. It's like, yeah. no, you're literally on the same wavelength. When, when we connect right now, like we're, we're connecting through waves. Uh, when we connect, even as human beings, we're occupying the same wave space as we circle and create a time wave as a circle, you know, going through time creates a wave. If we're revolving around the earth in the same spot, we're creating the same wave. You know what I mean? Like it's, it is waves, man. I think, I believe that we all kind of, you know, exist in these wavelengths and that we can connect through those wavelengths. We can only observe so much because we're only, you know, capable of observing so much, but we are observing, able of comprehending so much more through those observations you know over time i think we'll find ways to connect on wavelengths that are fucking beyond our concept of what we're even doing right now like <sighs> I, yeah I, no, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think so at all i think i i love what you're saying and i agree and i, I for me what it what it means to me is I, there's this part of me. I was like, I wish so bad that I just had money to throw at things. So I'd fly you out here and we would sit in my office right now and have this conversation face to face because there's something you can't replace about face to face. And yet what's really surprising to me is that just talking over zoom right now, like this is just like it was when we met up at, at, at TA in council bluffs and worked yeah. a store together. You know, it's, it's strange. And that's what you're talking about with waves is like you and I are having this conversation from, I'll, I'll shoot in the dark, 450 miles apart. And, you know, at the same time, like, feels like we're in the same room in so many ways. That's pretty cool. No, no it's a hundred. It's dude. That's so fucking neat. You know, it's like the wildness of what technology has allowed for us to do of, of like, not just technology of just smart ass people figured out a way for us to do this shit. So some real yeah. smart people were like, Hey, you know, it'd be cool if we could do this. And they're like, yeah, let's figure that out. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's neat. You know, and it's, it's also like, funny that this same conversation, if, if it's my, you know, great aunt three times removed, I, I'm not enjoying this conversation the same way because the waves are the same. It's, yeah, it's you know, like, it's like, you know, like you can connect those things and you're like, you know, visually seer and all those things, but yeah. If you're not thinking the same stuff, then you're still not going to have a conversation or yeah. if you can't connect on any of those other ways, you know, it's a yeah. weird thing, but you're right. Yeah. Strange. So, uh, you know, coming back to the story a little bit, we've got this idea of maybe an indefinite number of issues, but you're kind of thinking, if I remember right, 50 issues or so, and then you pass it off to somebody else. What, like, how do you see the whole evolution of this? And what is, what's so freeing about that idea that you can give it away? I like the idea of like, Hey, I like the idea that I would be successful enough with this book that I could give it away to somebody else sure. and somebody else be able to write it and do whatever, you know, that that's just an ego trip, <laughs> but we don't own what we create. You don't, yeah. if you create it and you give it out to the world, you have now given it to the world. You no longer own it. 
those people who read it, your readers, they own it now. You know, like if you buy a book, if I buy a book, I fucking own that book. However, I interpret that book. That's how I interpret it now. Careful. You know, that's my I mean, book. Be careful because you are pretty much going against the entire system when you say that. I mean, that like everything that we're talking about right now, and I hate to go hot topic on it, but own voices. I mean, you don't own it. You, you didn't live that story. Well, in this sense of like this book right here, I own this book. Yep. You know, and, and, and however I read this book is how I interpret this book. Like it, that's, that's, that's how that works now, you know, like no matter, like no matter what story you write, you know, as soon as it comes out and puts out, it's, it's whoever reads it. That's how they interpret it. That's they own whoever reads it now. That's who owns it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I like the idea of creating a character and saying, you know what? The world owns this character now. It's not just my character. You know, I don't have to be like the sole proprietor of the stories of this character, like Harry Potter. Okay. I think anybody mm-hmm. should be able to write a fucking Harry Potter story and do whatever they want with it. Yeah. I don't think AK Rowling has the best Harry Potter stories. I don't think, I, I mean, I don't think Stan Lee has the best Spider-Man stories. I think he had some great Spider-Man stories. He definitely, mm-hmm. you know, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee definitely created Spider-Man, you know, and Steve Ditko. There's three together, hundred percent created it, but, do they have the best stories? No. Somebody else has some great Spider-Man stories to tell. Just some absolutely heartbreaking stories, you know? I like being like the idea of like, hey, I, I created this thing. It's out there. My, I'll be forever associated with it. But somebody else can possibly do something with it that's just amazing. You know what I mean? And why would I want to stifle anybody from that? You know, why would I want to stop somebody from realizing their potential if I can help them create? get to their potential like i have a hundred ideas for for superman books and spider-man books and batman books all the time of like oh that would be cool and that'd be neat to write and i don't think it'd be horrible for anybody to write those books write those stories you know yeah fan fiction is wonderful shit you know i don't necessarily read a ton of fan fiction because most of it's probably not that great but (laughs) hey man do it I, I love that you say that. And I love even the way that you qualify, like fan fiction is probably not that great. I, I tend to agree with you. I have not encountered a ton of specifically fan fiction that's that great. And yet everything that we write is inspired by something else that we've read, watched, or listened to. And there's no yeah. way around it is that everything is fan fiction. And, and I think that, that the beauty of what you're discussing right now is that comics figure this out and the rest of the world has not figured it out yet. I mean, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates just wrote uh, Black Panther, right? I mean, this guy who is a, yeah. And if, I mean, if you haven't read yeah. those issues, he's a, a journalist for the Atlantic. I mean, he is on the cutting edge of discussions about race. And, and yet he jumps into the skin of Black Panther and writes some pretty kick-ass stories. I think uh, Roxane Gay is another one that, you know, she's lived her whole life in this sort of literary cocoon. And then she jumps out of that and writes a Marvel comic book. I think she might have collaborated with Ta-Nehisi. I can't remember for sure. But it's, it's this sense of like anybody can write fan fiction in the comic book world and do some amazing things. Yeah. I mean, with the superhero stuff is fun because it's like 
the particularly superhero books have figured out that they're like, oh yeah, have figured that out. Have have just like they're like people like they people want more stories. You know, people they don't just want the character; they want more stories with the character. I, I don't know why other books haven't. Fig- I guess I don't know. Like novels, people feel weird about ownership a lot of times. You know, with their with something that they create. You know, I get that. You know, I get I get the idea of like wanting to keep your baby but i don't know i see i see with some things of like there are some some places where it'd be like no this would be a great idea to just let the world have this you know if it, mm-hmm. if, it, if it means that the world's going to be if it if it means that it would make the world a kind of cooler better place you know like that's all i would want in the world to just be known of like oh yeah you made this thing that made the world cooler or like awesome it's so funny. It's almost like I paid you to say this because this is really at the heart of, of what Create Collaborate is all about is it's getting people to have a discussion who are open to the idea of sharing their story. And, and, and you know, maybe uh, somebody listening right now has this idea based on your idea, but it's not the same. And they go out and write it and they might not even give you credit. And that would be a horrible thing, except you're exactly right. It makes the world a better place because this is a amazing story. It's a great story. And, and I, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's so cool. Appreciate you, man. I really do. Appreciate you a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, kind of transitioning outside of that story, I know that you have a ton of stories. What for you is the most impactful medium right now? Do you, do you feel like it's, it's comic books? Do you feel like it's movies? Where do you see things moving? Well, I read, I still read a lot of comics, but, um, man, I think media like movies and TV and really, I think serialized movies is going to be the next kind of re re step, you know, makes sense. You know, that's, that's kind of where we came from is like serialized film of like, you know, where like, you know, we'd had movies that were like 14 parts. I see us doing stuff like that way more often of like, yeah. because I, I think we want a bigger story. People are willing to sit in their homes and and watch those bigger stories and watch those longer things and pay the money for it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and And you're not necessarily tied into making having to make a movie two hours because you're locked into a theater mode model. I think, uh, and that, that really, and comic books really influenced the hardcore part of this because all those comic films made so much money. Just right. hand, even the, even the ones that fail make so much money, you know, yep. like Aquaman was considered like people seriously considered Aquaman, like a, like a failure of a movie and it made $2 billion. Like it just, you know, so like, but they saw that, that kind of narrative storytelling Mm -hmm. works that you can tell a four part, four hour, you can tell an eight hour story over months. You know what I mean? And people will keep turning in and tuning in. There's check it out. You know, you don't have to be stuck to a TV model either. Right. You can go big film, but do it like six, six hour films. I see, I see a real big change coming up. I think a lot more people are going to really tap into that uh, 
like I said, longer, long form narrative. And on the very opposite end, not like it's like for like storytelling and big storytelling that for everything else, everything else is going to clip down to five minutes tops because nobody like it's like if it isn't like if you aren't locked into a story, it's all maybe 30 seconds. It's all TikTok. Totally. Like you're going to find people taking those kind of like that kind of medium, that short medium and finding ways to tell cool stories with that. You know, um, it's still a fresh medium. It really is like vines and TikToks and that short form video, like where everybody has that. It's really, really, really quite brand new. Even if it feels old, even if like though, like our sense of time is skewed, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Where it's like, oh, TikTok's been around for a couple of years now. But it's like, yeah, it's, it's only been around for a couple of years now. Nothing gets good for a couple of years. That's kind of the the, the basis of it. Is I, I in in one sense, I'm like, I really desperately want a lot of people to hear your take because one, you have a great story. Two, you're just really good to to engage in conversation with. You've got a special gift of of gab, honestly, and it's awesome to be around. But the, the truth is, is that unfortunately you're going to get buried for a little while. A lot of people aren't going to unfortunately hear this for a little while until things start gaining steam. And, and it's going to take a couple of years of doing create collaborate to get there. But the awesome thing is, is you're one of the early ones and everybody goes back to the beginning. So I, I think that's cool too. Right. It's fun. And I'll always enjoy talking no matter what. So, you know, <laughs> I'll have that, you know, too. I'll always enjoy the sound of my own voice. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Me too, for sure. It's crazy. I just got a message from my computer that said my disk is almost full. I don't know what happens if we go over the point where my disk is full. I have an external hard drive I can plug in later, but I wonder if I keep recording past that point, do I lose all of this? Do we throw the dice and just keep running or what do we do? You know, I think this is a good stopping point, man. Awesome. I think this is a good place for us to call because uh, I think uh, the universe telling us that, you know, uh, finding a natural place for this conversation to end because there is a certain amount of me blathering on endlessly that people can fucking listen to and stomach or they're just like, all right, dude, get over yourself. You're fucking clearly full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it's funny is, is there's a, there's a billion times that I've been so busy that I've been like, I got to jump off the phone for whatever reason, but this conversation stands out to me as being one of the most important things that I've talked about in a long time. And I feel really privileged that I got to do it because you've, you've got really cool ideas and I, I don't want you to, to minimize that or, or make small of that. Um, hopefully the selfish part of me says like, I hope that I get to help you tell this story um, in a way that we get to publish it and that it makes you a celebrity and rich because I, I really think that your story is great. Um, but regardless, just awesome to talk to you. Dude. I appreciate you, man. You're <laughs> awesome. Let me say, I think we all have great ideas and I think we all have these ideas and all these kind of thoughts inside our heads. I think we're all just looking for a way to verbalize and say it, to put it out there. And I've done enough stupid things to myself where I just don't give a fuck. And be like, all right, well, let's just have this verbal word diarrhea happen and see what (laughs) happens there. You know, see if if somebody buys some of this. (laughs) It's beautiful, man. It was great talking and uh, we'll, we'll keep in touch. All right. All right, man. Hey, man. 
awesome. Have a great one. Be safe out there, my friend. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Ryan. Take care. Thank you for listening to TRBM. The theme music was provided by the ever-talented Christopher Talon. And hey, if you liked what you heard, share this show with other readers because what's the point of telling stories if nobody's listening? 